0: Uh, We want to thank you for tuning in to Bring It On this evening, and in response to recent events related to the George Floyd killing, the crew of Bring It On is hosting this second of a two-part discussion to delve into the reaction and horror of the 10-minute video of George Floyd's death at the hands of police officers and, and the history of such encounters. Now, while we, uh, the Bring It On crew and the management of WFHB, realize that all police and law enforcement are not corrupt, and we do applaud the actions of the majority of those who are sworn to protect and serve, the history of disturbing and deadly interactions, especially between law enforcement and people of color, deserves an, an examination. And, but before we get underway with tonight's part two of that discussion... Uh, we just wanted to cover a couple of recent developments that have transpired
1: between
0: uh, last Monday and tonight. With me uh, discussing this is one of our Bring It On contributors, Roberta Radovich, uh, who also is known as the voice of radio. And uh, we just want to welcome Roberta to this show. Thanks, Roberta, for joining me today. Oh, of course. I wanted to touch on um, about three or four points that have just transpired. And I'll tell you, there has been so much that has been going on, and we sort of wanted to stay abreast of things. But um, recent developments, and I'll just touch on one that occurred before the George Floyd Memorial. Derek Chauvin, who pressed his knee into Floyd's neck for nearly nine minutes, was previously charged with third-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter and the new second-degree murder charge that he has been uh, uh, charged with says he killed Floyd without intent in the course of committing assault in the third degree, according to an amended complaint. Now, Thomas Lane and J. Alexander King, who helped restrain Floyd, and two Thal, who stood near the others, were not initially charged, but they are now being charged with aiding and abetting second-degree murder and aiding and abetting second degree manslaughter, so they place more teeth into the charges uh, on these officers. What do you think about that uh,
2: and I just want to add to this before we try to editorialize this a little bit that they their their attorneys are contesting this right because those were actually new officers <laughs> they were onboarding um, and one of them had only been on for four days. <laughs> so I, I just want to set that up, that this, the, the gross overuse of um, authority and power to is definitely, uh, it's definitely contested whether or not he thought he was protecting anybody, right? Um, but well, this, the gross misuse of um Influence even over other new officers right who were i mean they are arguing that they said they were trying to say shouldn 't we shouldn 't we be doing something <laughs> different um, this doesn 't feel well, right i well, sure well, that well, well let
0: let me let me stop you right there i mean this sounds yeah. almost like training day training day part two, okay. and i 'm expecting uh uh. didn't be able to come uh. <laughs> resurrected from the grave to come back and play his role, but but no, Siobhan, and I get it, I get it, and and that may certainly be their defense. You know, Siobhan was our training officer, and we were following his lead, but it, it'll be left up to uh. the prosecutors and of course the uh, jury of their peers to determine to what extent they were culpable in the uh, death of uh... Of george floyd and and that will be right. hashed out and we will cover this at bring it on uh... There, there was one other one and i want to move on to a couple other points before we start uh... the uh, second part here washington mayor muriel bowser is becoming quite the uh... i call her a shero <laughs> out there uh... she's going toe to toe with number forty five and is not backing <laughs> down uh... she joined the crowd outside the white house and has demanded that Trump withdraw military and federal law enforcement from the city, which I did hear he will be withdrawing uh, um, some of the, um, oh, I forget, not the military, but the, um, uh, you can help me out with that a little bit later. The the uh, reserve reserve,
2: reserve people?
0: Yeah, he's removing, he will start the removal of those individuals. But now she has taken the initiative to have the street near the White House painted with, Black Live, Lives Matter in big bold yellow letters and she even renamed the street to Black Lives Matter Plaza. Your thoughts on that?
2: <laughs> well, obviously that gives one incredible delight. <laughs> I think I saw a <laughs> meme on um on social media saying that uh his his new address is now uh, 1600 <laughs> Black Lives Matter <laughs> Plaza. Um, so I think it's it makes a strong statement, right? It it, just, it really Sorry. sort of puts a, a flag in the sand um, of where that where that mayor stands for the people that she represents in that town. Um, and it's incredible, and it is it is the hub of where our nation's capital is so it it will it can't be erased by history right history um, will not be able to um, absorb what is happening right now in 2020 with protests going on what day seven ish or so um, across this nation in every single state it 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 won't be It won't be absorbed. it won't be whitewashed, it won't um, disappear. uh that that mural on the um on the corridor is stands mm-hmm. as a testimony.
0: Mhm- well as as all of us should know from our uh, civics class uh, washington d c is in fact a district and is not a state and I remember the days when right. Jesse Jackson was advocating for statehood for, for D.C. It's in this sort of unique, precarious situation where, uh, while they are a thriving city uh, and the seat of power of our country is also situated there, along with all the historical buildings and this, that, and the other. Well, you know, here's a situation where uh, the two authorities are clashing, one being the, the, the wartime president, who's fighting COVID and then also, I guess, fighting uh, Mexicans trying to come into America. That's another crisis we have that he declared.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And now this particular crisis, but the way he's handling handling it is he's trying to usurp her authority and sister's not having it. So, um, no. And he rails, he really rails against assertive black women. I, I've noticed that. Uh, Yamiche yeah, Alcindor can't get a question answered. Mm-hmm. You know, she gets dismissed Mm-mm. and... No, so, and she's just, nasty uh, too, right? <laughs> she's she's a nasty person. So, yeah,
2: nasty questions.
0: So, so that will be covered in future segments of Bring It On. Um, moving on, uh, just just real uh, quickly, the Minneapolis uh, Minneapolis uh, has put in place some some new protocols for police interactions with um, civilians. However, Mm -hmm. I saw um, recently where uh, they stopped short of trying to defund, which is a controversial concept all in itself. And and one, I think, is is really being pressed out of frustration. But nevertheless, Minneapolis is trying to make changes. And then I did read where facing pressure from players, NFL uh, Commissioner Roger Goodell said he wants to do his part to fight against racism and systemic oppression, mm-hmm. and he came out mm-hmm. with a, a viral video that uh, mm-hmm. says he's backing players that choose to protest mm-hmm. in a peaceful way, and including taking a knee. Now, and I'll tell that to Colin Kaepernick, mm-hmm. who's still looking for a job. So,
2: right, uh, we'll, and I we'll and I saw I saw that. And I saw that Trump t- uh, tweeted earlier today, no kneeling. <laughs> He's so, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's crazy <laughs> what comes up in his tweets. But I just thought, really? I mean, of all the things going on, that's the thing that you want to, you know, yell and shout to your constituents to make sure you've made it clear where you stand on that? <laughs> And,
0: and when all this was sort of a, uh, coming well, coming to the forefront with Kaepernick uh, being defiant and others in the league, yeah, he used mm-hmm. it to, to ramp up his base. But, but now Black, he may want to come up with something that's going to be a little bit more uh, persuasive for his base. Uh, one other thing before we get into one area that I really want to talk about tonight is in a high profile mm-hmm. case, two suspended Buffalo, New York police officers were charged with second degree assault um, on this past Saturday amid outcries over videos showing police shoving a 75 year old man to the ground as they drove an area of demonstrators. And the graphic video even showed Roberta, and you probably saw it, he was bleeding from his, from his skull.
2: He was bleeding from his skull, and they and they didn't help him. They just pushed him and walked on. I saw it. I went and looked at it to look with my own eyes because I just couldn't believe that. <laughs> I couldn't now, believe
0: the, it. Uh, I couldn't either. Now, I I um I did see, and we'll cover that too in, in episodes to come. But I, I did. Um, I was riveted, and and I was uh, I was thoroughly just. Um, overcome with all types of emotion watching the George Floyd Memorial where none other than the Reverend Al Sharpton, uh, he, he called truth to power and he made the case for America, uh, for those races that are just bent on holding African-Americans, Latinos, Asians down, get your knee off our neck is the takeaway mm-hmm. from that riveting mm-hmm. memorial. And then you saw one too the other day.
2: Uh, yesterday, they had they hosted his memorial back um, in North Carolina. Yesterday, at the at the church, I believe it was his home church,
0: or his family's your, home your, church
2: in in North Carolina.
0: And I I I know my heart goes out to the family because they have to relive so much pain. But in some yeah. ways, it's probably an outpouring of love such that they're feeling lifted up. As they go from memorial to memorial. Yes. Um, yeah. I would, I
2: would just,
0: think so. Go ahead. Sorry. I, no, no, no. That's fine. I would. Um, oh. I would hope mm-hmm. that that um, that a lot of the energy that is being the, the energy synergy the um, the reactions of ind- individuals will lead them to do two things register. Mm-hmm and vote, and mm-hmm. that's all I'll say, say to that. Now, if, if we, if we yeah. can, uh, with the remaining time, mm-hmm. if we mm-hmm. could talk about something that transpired in Bloomington that you're very familiar yeah. with, that was the Enough is Enough uh, mm-hmm. protest rally, which was a mm-hmm. peaceful protest against police brutality and for justice in the African-American community. Uh, your thoughts mm-hmm. on, on that, and that was a powerful statement, too.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't say it any better than what the organizers, Selena Drake, who um, is a recent IU grad, um, she'll be coming into the O'Neill School for graduate school. I I can't say it any better than what um, what she and the other organizers, the students that worked with her. She really wants, she wanted to create a platform where black youth and allies came together to to really establish what their position is on um, crimes against black people, and that is that they are crimes against humanity. Um, And she really wanted to create uh, a peaceful environment where people of all races, all genders, all uh, uh, intergenerationally would come together and peacefully stake claim that police brutality is a crime against humanity. And she did have, she had several components. There was a philanthropic component. Um, they identified the Banneker Community Center as a entity here in Bloomington doing the work of supporting um, minoritized communities, especially historic um, African-American communities here in Bloomington on that historic west side of town. And then they also were um, taking cash donations and other kinds of, um, uh, you know, uh, cash app type approaches to collecting funds to help support, um, you know, posting bail for um, protesters who might be, you know, trying to navigate around the system, um, as well as, she wanted to support black businesses who might be encountering hardship due to the protest, uh, or excuse me, due, due to COVID and other um, situations around the protest, like, you know, places being shut down because of vandalism or looting. And so she really had this really great, um, excuse my dog, she really had this uh, really comprehensive uh, Approach to what it is that she was trying to communicate. The organizers were trying to communicate with the folks um, who came out on Friday. Well, from from
0: um, from all accounts, it was a success, and it was sort of a concurrence of of two events. One, um, well, well, actually, one that moved from Dunmetal to the courthouse in Bloomington, and and, and right. while the, the pictures, the remarks, and and the statements that were made—that enough truly is enough. Well, that, that's about all the time we have for this quick bringing-on update before our broadcast tonight. And I—I just—I think the world of our contributor, Roberta Radovich, who um, who one has sacrificed time to join us and has <laughs> touched the calendar that she is in high demand everywhere. But we thank her for taking time
4: to Thanks, uh, chime in
0: on the questions. And as always, uh, we want to thank everyone for supporting Bring It On. And now here is Monday, June 8th edition of Bring It On. Good evening. I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning show in our 15th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community.
6: Good evening. I'm William Hosea, and again, we are proud to announce that Bring It On earned a third-place Best in Journalism Award in the category of Radio Documentary or Special from the Indiana Society of Professional Journalists. I will congrats to our crew and especially to our Bringing On contributors, some of whom are with us today, that we have convened today for part two of a special two-part interview entitled Blue on Black Crime, the recent spate of racially motivated killings and racial profiling of African Americans by law enforcement. And joining
0: us once again are Bringing On contributors Beverly Callender Anderson, Eric Love, Amrita Myers, Cornelius Wright, and of course, our co-anchor, William Hosea. And as we are conferencing this interview due to COVID-19 precautions at WFHB, uh, we want to apologize in advance for any technical glitches you may hear. And with that, welcome everyone back to Bring It On. We ended our first hour last week um, with some questions sort of lingering out there. And I just sort of want to revisit that and, of course, go from there. I think we talked about how segments of society were at times perceived as being really brutalized uh, by some officers, not all, but some. Um, Eric, you made an interesting comment about trans women of color who were viewed as sort of the lowest of the tier, who have a history of being uh, really denigrated and brutalized by by police officers and authority. Can we start there? And and Eric, can you reintroduce that concept again?
4: Yes. I I wish I had the statistics in front of me. Um, I might be able to pull them up before we get too much farther along. But there have been tens, if not hundreds, of cases of trans women of color who are being killed by other civilians and police officers, and they get no attention because trans women of color are sort of the lowest of the low on our societal totem pole. Um, I certainly don't believe that. Um, I don't have that view, but I think that's how they're treated. And uh, so I think it it is an issue. Um, I'm not sure how it fits in the overall discussion that we're having, but it was absolutely worth uh, mentioning. They're part of our community. Um, You know, there are there are relatives, there are colleagues, there are community members, um, and they're as valuable as anybody else.
5: Trans women of color have extraordinary, um, extraordinarily low lifespans because of violent deaths. Yes. There, I mean, it's it's really shocking to the point where it's heart wrenching the average life expectancy for a trans black woman in the united states sits at around 35 because of homicide they are harassed by the police they are harassed by people on the street they are harassed by their own community members and we we ignore their deaths we ignore their pain because of transphobia homophobia when they are arrested, when they are harassed, when they are murdered, people in the community don't stand up for them. People in the community don't care. So I just, I just wanted to second everything Eric said. It's, um, it is, if, if the violence against black people is excruciating, the violence against
4: trans black women is
5: appalling.
4: So I think um, with the pandemic, with police brutality we are really seeing the hierarchy of a value of human lives like we are you know, we mentioned it last week covid affects poor people people of color um the frontline workers hospital workers more than than anybody else in society and we've heard for the last 2 months people saying oh it adversely affects uh people of color it adversely affects black neighborhoods or black people but there's been no solutions we say oh, they've come to the realization that it, it affects us. But we knew that already, right? And there hasn't
1: been any discussion on what we can do. Now that so many businesses and are losing, uh, are, are closing down, people are losing jobs, the last ones to get hired are going to be the black community. So there's not enough jobs. We weren't getting them as they were in the first place. And now with the economy going the way it's going, the future, if something isn't done immediately, the future is going to be very bleak for not only black folks but for this country. Uh, and I found it interesting in some of the demonstrations that I think that people are noticing that it's more white people who are causing the damage than the peaceful protesters. And uh, I don't know if it's by design or not, but uh, that's a huge problem, also.
3: To Eric's point, Emrita uh, said last week. You know, she talked about people need jobs and people need housing, and 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 so I think that what we have found with COVID. Is that where those where there were those gaps? They just rose to the top. Like everything that we could pretend not to see before um, rose to the top, and, and they were exposed. And so, yeah, there are more more Black people and more people of color that are on the front line, uh, you know, doing the facilities management in hospitals or the housekeeping in hospitals or grocery store clerks or I mean, and driving buses. They are essential workers. None of them got a chance to go and do their work from home. Um, And so they were exposed even more. People who were experiencing homelessness are living in those that are in shelters are in shelters that are very crowded. They couldn't socially distance. And so then what happens to them? And if there is an outbreak in a homeless shelter, one person gets it. Every person in that shelter then becomes, you know, at least susceptible, but probably infected. And so then there's even more danger to the entire community once they come out of shelter and go into the community. And so I think that, that COVID did um, expose a lot of the gaps in in our community, not just in our society, sort of bring it right down to our own community that people have been able to uh, overlook for so long.
5: That's one of the things I had been saying is that the reason that people in any country, not just in ours, right turn to you know criminal activity is out of desperation, right? So when you provide people, right, if you look at human beings with dignity and you provide them with this, with the things that give dignity, income, health care, housing, these things, it takes away the need to commit those kinds of crimes, right? If you if you read the kind of work that people like Angela Davis and Barbara Ransby and others have been writing about for years in terms of abolishing, right, the carceral state, right, prison, the prison industrial complex, that's exactly what they're talking about is giving people human dignity back. The justice system in this country is not just towards African-Americans, right? When you look at how things like crack versus cocaine, which we all understand in this group very clearly has been adjudicated for years. When you look at how minor nonviolent offenses like shoplifting and other things are adjudicated, right? We have hundreds of thousands of young black and brown people sitting in prison for marijuana and other things. We have so many young people coming up who feel that there is no way out because that they're trying to support their families. I mean, I became an educator because I'm trying to do what I can to give people a way out. But if we give people the basics of dignity, then the carceral state and policing and other things become less and less necessary right? And I I firmly am of the belief that abolishing those things and putting the money that we put into those systems and instead putting them into our communities and into our people is far more valuable. Into schools and into hospitals and into jobs is far more worthy because what we saw in COVID is that Those who are working in grocery stores and in the restaurant industries are essential workers. And people had never realized until then that people who work in food industries are essential workers. So, why are those people only making two or three dollars an hour? They shouldn't be making two or three dollars an hour because they're essential workers. In other words, making far more money because we need to treat them with dignity and respect, which means they deserve a basic income. That's what I'm talking about. It's a structural system across the board in this country that we need to
4: overhaul. I, I don't know if I can introduce a new topic, but um, something we haven't mentioned yet is the evidence of how white criminals are treated in comparison to black criminals. Um, so, for example, The student in Connecticut killed two people, held someone at gunpoint, stole their car, kidnapped somebody else. They arrested him, gave him water because he was a little uncomfortable, a little thirsty. He just murdered people and was on a, you know, running from the law for days through multiple states. He was treated better than someone who was accused of using um, a counterfeit bill 20 bill and from my understanding it really wasn't counterfeit at all it was just they just suspected it being counterfeit but um it ended up not being counterfeit i i can't substantiate that that's just what i've heard the guy that shot up nine african-american christians during um you know prayer service or what am i trying to think um bible study bible study right killed nine people He was hungry, so the police took him to Burger King on the way to the police station, right? And then we have people who are killed instantly. Black people are killed instantly. I've seen so many videos of white people fighting police, hitting them, taking their batons and beating the police back. They never shoot them. They never kill them, miraculously. But if it's someone black and they look wrong at a police officer, they're shot because their life was threatened. So those are some tangible things that, I think that that's problematic. Again, that just illustrates how uh, being Black is seen, uh, where our bodies are weaponized, we're seen as seen as criminals, um, just by the sheer color of our skin.
3: Well, and I think it goes back to, I mean, last week we talked about how the police were formed and the the history of of policing, but I do think it goes back to this country's history of slavery where, people of african descent were seen as less than human and and i think that there is still a something in the back of a lot of folks minds that dehumanizes people with melanin in their skin you know i mean it, it just it, it's just that you are you are not supposed to feel the same feelings you you're not supposed to grieve the same way or feel pain the same way or you know i think people still see black people as less than human.
5: And I think that this also goes back to the the, last week week. you had been talking about that it's not just about the police, that this is a larger issue that permeates society and that we have so many people um, everywhere who are constantly looking at us, judging us, and that even if they're not aware of it, there's unconscious bias that permeates throughout everybody and that people like Amy Cooper just think that they can pick up their phone and make these phone calls and call the police when they're being asked to leash their dogs. And right, people like Amy Cooper who voted for Barack Obama and who would call themselves liberals or Democrats and who who don't think that they're racist and yet who hold these, you know, really deeply hidden you know, attitudes and biases towards people of color and towards Black people that they may not even necessarily be aware of until they come racing to the surface in these charged moments. And and this is the problem because from the moment people take their first breath, bias is in the air around them because this country's history is steeped in it. From the from its inception, and so it's in the air that they breathe in. It's there 24/7 in the education system, in the media, in magazines, in TV, in movies, in you know from the K through 12 system onwards. Everything, whether they are realizing it or not, is is telling them 24/7 that that black is bad and wrong and evil. From the toy, you know, from toys to TV. And so even though they're not aware of it, they're in, in con- unconsciously taking it all in. And by the time they graduate from high school, they're carrying thousands of pounds of weight of, of, of unconscious ideas about Blackness. And they think that they're not racist, and yet they are. You can, and, and they think they're not racist, and they can be
3: liberal until they are inconvenienced. And once you're inconvenienced, then, all of that comes back. I mean it's all it's like i I voted for Barack. I don't like trump, you know i I got a black friend. we had dinner last week, not at my house, but it was at a restaurant. Uh, you know, and all of that happens until you tell me to put my dog on a leash and then then, when I have to put my dog on the leash, or you know my son can't get into Harvard because yours did, um you know, then all of a sudden. All, all of that, those biases that you talked about, that they've been taught and trained over the years unconsciously, not knowing that that's what it was, all comes back.
1: We're seeing this blatant disregard for equity. As uh, Eric mentioned, when you see these obvious, why is it that every white man with a gun that commits mass murder, I'm just going to say it, ends up being taken alive? But you have a cell phone, you have absolutely nothing. You're just breathing while black and you are a threat that ends up dead. And until something happens on that on a national scale, we've got a big problem. And our youth are seeing this. One good thing I think in this is that there's been a lot of non-people of color who have been just as outraged as we are um, seeing this police violence. I guess I don't know if I've ever been this angry in my entire adult life. I, the past two weeks, the anger level in me and I know it's probably not good for my blood pressure, but I have truly been on pins and needles and I would hate for someone to walk up on me and do a a, a Karen and tell me to do something because I don't know what my reaction would be. What happens when we snap back? You know, that man's life was, was threatened by that woman. And if he didn't have that video camera in his hand, he'd be dead. But that's a direct threat to my life. And Personally, I'm not going to let anyone threaten me at this point.
0: And if you just joined us here in Bring It On, we are having part two of a roundtable that began last week uh, with Bring it On contributors Beverly Callender-Anderson, Eric Love, Amrita Myers, and Cornelius Wright, who we just heard speaking. And uh, joining uh, co-anchor uh, William Hosea, we are seeking to explore and, and do a deep dive on Blue on Black Crime the recent spate of racially motivated killings and racial profiling of African-Americans by law enforcement. Uh, One thing I'd like for us perhaps to discuss, this whole dynamic, the efficacy of protesting. Uh, As I see it, it's it's born out of the frustration of a community without anything else to turn to. They take to the streets to show their discontent over some issue. And everyone was applauding the peaceful protest concept. But now it's quickly turned into these riotous thugs. And I just want to throw that out there as something that perhaps we can begin a discussion on.
6: I think that uh, government, elected officials, law enforcement, they all have to accept some responsibility for the, the, the rioting and the destruction that we see right now. This is just my opinion now. I think that there is a direct correlation between the victimization of Black America and the hypocrisy of the government and the criminal justice system. Because for so long, for so many years, they were comfortable with Black men being murdered while unarmed, and they were comfortable with police officers not being held accountable. But now that we've reached the boiling point, We have the destructive rioting, cities are burning, police stations are burning. Now they're uncomfortable where they were not before. For so long, they did nothing about it, swept it under the rug. And even in recent incidents, um, they tried to push some of it uh, out of the way where we couldn't see it. Like you, right off the bat, after uh, George Floyd was killed, you heard things like, there may have been some substance in his system or there may have been something that may have had something to do with his, his, his mental capacity. So the fix was already on.
4: He was uh, resisting arrest.
6: Yeah. Yeah. So Which he, he wasn't
4: the camera showed that he was not right. resisting arrest.
6: And you know, it, it's a wonder after Eric, I think you mentioned it before after all of the weight that was put on this man's body. It's a wonder that he had even had the capacity to call out to his deceased mother as
3: he knew he was dying. One to of the... To your two- point about protest, Clarence, um, I think, I'm sorry, Emery, I think mm-hmm. protest comes in, in so many different forms. And, and think about Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick protested peacefully, very peacefully, didn't bother anybody, managed his own business, took his knee. That was a problem. You know, somebody marches, with a sign around a, a courthouse, that's the problem. You're blocking traffic. That's the problem. And and so, and I, and I think it was Martin Luther King. I'm not sure who it was, but they say that protest is the language of the unheard. That's what this is. And so if I can't take a knee at a football game, then I bust out a window in a police station. I mean, that. this has led to this. There has been There have there have been people trying to protest this very topic, the the killing of police brutality there. There have been protests. And and I have said to some other folks, you can't tell people how to protest. I am as nonviolent as they come. I don't I don't want to be involved in a violent protest, but I understand violent protests. And and you can't tell people that their frustration can't come out. When you when you um, I think I'm trying to think of this a cannon like a weapon. When you push gunpowder down in a cannon, you keep pushing and pushing and pushing and then you light that fuse, it explodes. And that's what you got. You've got you've got folk who have been pushed down and pushed down and pushed down over the years who have tried to tell you. Who have tried—not you, but you know—have tried to tell society, have tried to tell the government, even during Obama's administration, have tried to work through some of this. And and all of the time, it's like, oh, you're protesting the wrong way. Oh, we'll get to you. You know, that's not important. You know, we're all equal. And and so this this is what you get when when society doesn't listen um, to those voices.
0: Right. Here's a contrast, real quickly, a, a real quick contrast. Why is it that uh, armed citizens can take automatic rifles and and just just rush into a state house to try to, you know, just change proceedings, and we have a quote unquote, wartime president that tweets that it's time to liberate various states? And to your point, Beverly, about you know, here we are taking a knee to protest how blacks are treated. This man hadn't been signed by another NFL team. Probably could have helped NFL teams out of being in the basement as far as rankings. But nevertheless, that we'll never probably know. Uh, but, you know, just the contrast. Uh, you could I could take, well, the Black Panther, Cornelius, took automatic weapons into the California State House. Am I right?
1: And they implemented the Mumford back the next week which basically banned people from taking uh, armed weapons into on public streets like that. They they implemented that policy within the week.
5: This was exactly the point that I was going to make is that it doesn't matter how Black people choose to protest. It doesn't matter what method they choose to take. It will never be appropriate according to white society.
4: Mm-hmm. Agreed. So, I would uh, point out what some of the points that Beverly were, were making. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did an op-ed piece today in the LA Times. That's absolutely worth reading. I think he's it's so well written, and he's. I would definitely point it out. But he, he talks about how we've suppressed this anger for so long that it's boiling over, and there's you can't stop it. Um, I know for myself, I've been an activist for years. When I was younger, I led marches and rallies. And when kind of this most recent activism started to take place, I, I was kind of critical. Like, wow, they're so disrespectful there. And, and not in the last week, but previously Black Lives Matter, blocking down highways, things like that. I'm like, oh, my God, people are trying to get to work. They're trying to get to, you know, someone might be pregnant trying to get to the hospital and they're, they're disrupting so much. But I, I really had to look inside, check myself. I come from a different era where the the point was to get heard, to get you know to get a seat at the table or to have someone listen to you, and I was successful in that point. But people aren't being heard anymore, and so the less they are being heard, then the more um, disruptive they become. Uh, mm-hmm. I think a, a perfect example was at um, Mizzou, where the students had a you know we're starting to protest but before the protest they tried to speak with the president the president said no we're not talking to you they're like there's racist problems on campus we want to talk to you and the president kept avoiding him he wouldn't set up a meeting he wouldn't even assign anyone to meet with them then they start showing up wherever he went fundraisers dinners events they started showing up and pretty soon they started protesting then the football team protested they were uh and it just escalated he was fired if he would have just said Let's have a seat. Tell me what the issues are. I can't meet all of your demands, but I can meet some of them, and we can work on them together. For the other ones, uh, you know, there's a way of giving people some, um, power and voice, um, and working together on some of these issues. But what's happening is, no, no, shut up, stop complaining. planning, stop. It's inappropriate for you to disrupt my football game. It's inappropriate for you to disrupt anything. Um, and so, yeah, I I have to check myself. What we need is for old head activists. Um, and and some of the new generations to kind of strategize, get together, and say how can we be most effective. Uh, there was one more point I really wanted to make, and we started to talk about it last week. Um, and that's where do we go from here? Like, how to we, how can we build political capital from this movement, from all these marches and rallies? So I've seen it so much on the left, liberals, Democrats, when they when they march, when they rally, there's a lot of energy, a lot of excitement, but then it doesn't translate into political capital and power. They don't overthrow um, longstanding uh, politicians. Uh, when the right wing did it, like with the Tea Party movement, they hijacked the political, the uh, Republican Party and they elected so many people um, and really had influence. We don't do that on the left. And some of you may not always, you know, might not be on the left, but if there was some way we could, it, um, you know, turn this movement into political clout, political capital. If we get all these people to vote, vote out sheriffs and po- police captains and chiefs and um, change judges and judges. people like that, it would be so impactful. And not to mention how many have been in place since uh, Trump has been president, how many judges he's appointed in lower courts that we have no idea about. It's hundreds and hundreds. Um, and so the political process is so important. We've got to get people to register. We have to get people to vote. We have to get them to be educated voters so they know who they're voting for, what the issues are. And I think that's, that would be an unstoppable juggernaut if we could create the, the capital that comes with this movement right here.
3: I think along with that, getting people registered and voting, but getting people to run for office because that's the other piece. We need people in place to run for office, and and that's not, I mean, they're not easy jobs. they I mean, and not everybody is up for a campaign, but but that's what we need. And and those people that really want to make change and want to make a difference, uh, they need to be in places where difference can be made. And I w- I met with um, a guy in South, in Charlotte, uh, Charlottesville, no Charlotte. Where was the Republican convention supposed to be? Charlotte. And he was on city council, but he had started as an activist um, after the after the killing in the church, and he ultimately made it to city council. And he he and I were on, were on a team together. But you know, we need those activists in places where not only they can educate other people, but they can they can legislate, they can they can make laws, they can you know look at look at things with a different view and not just keep having the same people or the same families of people running for city council, running for mayor, running for uh, state senator, what, whatever it is, or judges or whatever it is. We've at the same corner for 20 years. You know, I don't have a problem with her, but, you know, it's 20
5: years. I feel like we feel like are in a place where people are so quick to judge you know what's happening in the moment in terms of the protests, the riots, and things of that nature. And I keep thinking to myself: for 400 years, white folks in this country have committed every act of violence against Black people's bodies. And yet, even now, the violence that's being perpetrated by you know by the protesters is against property, right? And so, to me. It's still like the, the violence their violence is against people, and the violence out there that you know is being perpetrated is still being directed against property. That's a very big difference. like you know we're it's still very, very, you know controlled as far as I'm concerned. They destroy people, the the protesters are are destroying property. you know, and I mean, I've been doing activist work for a long time too, and and trust me, i mean i I don't go you know destroying property of any kind. You know, I'm, I'm, I limit myself to like words <laughs> and writing, you know, that that's who I am. But I still think that it's, it's important to make these distinctions. I also think that, you know, what's the bigger sin, right? Protesting against injustice or the injustices that led to the protests. I think that that's really an important thing to really for us to sit and think about and to sit with that. You know, people are, are arguing about even the CEO of target came out and said that he doesn't really care about the target that got hit in Minneapolis. Right. Um, and I think that it's important that we, that we sit and think about that because what, what are we, I mean, is it the injustice that's the bigger problem or the protests, um, um, or the injustice that led to the protest? And as we move forward and I was, talking to one of my dearest friends yesterday um, at the end of this very hard week. And most of us are just feeling incredibly traumatized, right? I mean, I think this is really the word that is resonating with most of us is trauma. Some of us are feeling numb because we've gone through just the entire range of emotions this week from shock and disbelief to horror and anger and rage, to, you know, like just every emotion and just, and then just, we just started to feel numb, but overwhelmingly we just feel traumatized. And I've talked to so many people who um, have just broken down in tears and many trying to hide those tears from their children. Um, crying in their rooms, crying in their cars, crying in their showers. Um, and, you know, for myself, I I just had to sit down and kind of write how I was feeling one morning because I just was, I mean, I'm just going to, I mean, if you don't mind, I'm just going to like, just sort of, it's a very short thing that I wrote that I'm just going to read to you because it's how I feel because it's I'm traumatized. I am honestly traumatized, trauma. We cry in our rooms, in our cars, in the shower. Some days we're afraid to leave our homes. Other times we're in a constant state of rage or mourning or both. We fear for our loved ones, our partners, our children, or we decide it's better not to have any. Why give the beast more blood? It's never satisfied. We buy security systems, dogs, but they kill them too. Maybe we should all arm ourselves. What would the NRA do then? The nation has descended into madness, helicopters, sirens, smoke, blood, because we are here, pressed to the wall, dying, fighting back, trauma. This is, this is what it feels like for me, but I don't think I'm the only one who is feeling like this. And it's not just now, this is, this is what it's like living in a police state. And that's what I mean by the nation. I mean, because over the last, since I mean, I moved here, and it's been from Amadou Diallo to Abner Louima to Tamir Rice. To I mean, there's so many names that it's hard to remember them all and hold them all, and the grief is just too much. Well.
3: And I'll say, too, Amrita, especially as women and as women who are caregivers of others, I mean, I think I don't know that the trauma is any more intense, but I think it's different maybe than what men feel. And, and I was talking to a group of women on Friday, and we talked about how we fear for the men in our lives. I have an 88-year-old dad who loves to walk and he's hard of hearing, and he loves to walk. And and so he goes out and he walks, I go, and, and I wonder if one day somebody will say something to him and he doesn't understand them or hear them, and then something happens to him. I have sons. I have nephews. I have, you know, Godchildren, like all of these men and boys in my life, you know, and my nieces, and, and, and I must say I fear a lot more for the boys, but but I know that I need to fear for them both. Um, you know, that in a blink of an eye, something could change. And and so I think that there's the trauma of, of what is going on nationally and seeing it. But then there is that very um, real visceral fear of your husband walking out the door and you just don't know if he's going to make it back or your son going to... You know, out with some friends, and you don't know if they're going to make it back. And um, yes. those, the, that's 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 very real. That that is very very real. And I think maybe because of COVID and some of this um, sheltering in place, we got a little comfortable. And now that things are opening back up again, um, then then that and then and now we're seeing all of this. And then it comes back, you know. And then it comes back. So.
0: Cornelius had a point that he was trying to make. Go ahead, Cornelius.
1: They're playing with Legos, just having a good time as boys. And uh, it, it just really frightens me as they're out there having a good time, that people are looking at them as. Well, and um, as Beverly mentioned, I can't even imagine how a lot of the women feel. Not only do they have to deal with their lives, their husbands, their sons, their grandsons. I, I know that we, as Beverly said, we still have those same issues and same fears. But I think for us, or I know for myself anyway, I'm trying to be on the front line to be the one that's going to stand in front of everyone if something happens to the rest of my family. So I'm just really worried. I want to go back on what uh, Eric mentioned about voting. We have to get out and vote. I, I, there's just no other option. The frustrating is I know that we've had a church ban for the past six elections. I think three people have used the, utilized the, the service that no one gets to the polls. We've got to take money out of politics. As, as Beverly mentioned, there's a lot of good people out there who would run for office. One thing is the scandals that they put on you, they, they just run your personal life and your family's life through the ringer. A lot of people don't want to deal with that. And then the just money. We've got to get that out of the system. Money is breaking this country. It's tearing it down. As Amrita mentioned, you know, it, people are more concerned about the... And, and don't, I agree that the looting is wrong. We should not be taking those businesses from people. There's a lot of small business owners who are going to go out of business behind that. But... Human life is about, I value human life more than I value property. And when we start valuing people more than we value property and money, things may start to turn around. Well, if
0: if you're joining us, uh, this is Bring It On's part two roundtable on the topic of blue on black crime. We're addressing the recent spate of racially motivated killings and racial profiling of African-Americans by law enforcement. And we're sort of, Coming near the end of this conversation, um, and we just thank the most recent comments by uh, our our panelists um, for this part two. There's there's one area we sort of touched on the riot dynamics, and and now we're, we're, we've been hearing um, that groups such as Antifa, who are on the far left, or the Boogaloo Boys, who are on the far right, have been contributing to uh, a lot of the heavy looting. And I just want to ask, can anyone define, I think, Amrita, you're well aware of Antifa or Beverly, you're well aware of Antifa. But if you could quickly, for some of our listeners who don't know really who Antifa is, and then also, can someone speak to who are the Boogaloo Boys?
5: Well, in terms of Antifa, um, you know, BLM has worked with Antifa pretty closely across the country. I mean, BLM is obviously, you know, each chapter is independent. But I mean, Antifa is, of course, short for anti-fascist. And one of the things that's very frustrating to me is how the media um, and, you know, the government and other organizations and policing, in particular police organizations, has really twisted Antifa And attempted to make them appear as if they're some sort of, you know, violent, you know, criminal organization when they're, you know, an organization dedicated to anti fascism and working to make sure that they work very closely. They're mainly white folks who are on the left, who are dedicated to working with people of color, particularly black people working underneath the leadership of black people often to make sure to protect black people, particularly when we go out and do organi- you know, organized marches and demonstrations and protests. And all of the ones that I have worked with have been incredibly deferential to the leadership of black people. And they're very, very committed to making sure that, thing- that fascism and Nazism and things like that die in this country. So, I, I mean, I am, um, I'm very, very um, grateful for the work that people who are in, in the Antifa movement do. So I think it's really important to understand that, you know, they're anti-fascist.
1: I think it's interesting that right now, the headline on the CNN website is Trump says, U.S. will designate Antifa as a terrorist organization. Um, so again, there's so much division, there's so much left, right, right, left, um, Go ahead Eric.
4: Yeah. So what I was going to say is when I was in uh, an undergrad, the Antifa didn't exist, but they were called peace punks. They were white. They had shaved heads. They looked like racist skinheads, but they were on the, they were the opposite. They were, their whole purpose was to fight against skinheads and racism. Um, You know, decades have gone by and anti-fascists they're trying to antifa they are they fight against racism they fight against white supremacist groups they um they're really not even an anti-government group they're an anti-nazi group they're anti neo-nazi an anti-neo-Nazi group um they're not um uh, they're not anarchists they're fighting for the rights of people who are targeted and marginalized um, i think it's interesting and telling again trump always talks about antifa the way he says it antifa such an idiot. I'll say that on, is that on the air? We got that. Um, he, he, he targets them all the time, but he will not mention anything about white supremacist groups other than to say that there's good folks in there as well. So, um, he tells us who he is daily and when are we going to start listening to him? There's still people that I know that's, well, he's great for the economy. So I, you know,
0: and the boogaloo boys, anyone have a, an inkling as to who they are. I heard them described as a group, uh, and, and I hope I have this right, uh, their mission is to destabilize government and to bring about a race war.
5: I've heard of the Proud Boys, but I've not heard of the Bukaloo Boys.
0: Yeah, that, that's sort of the Yeah, the I only new,
5: heard of the
3: Boogaloo Boys the new kids connected the- with, with the Minnesota... Um, uh, protest. So I'm so I'm not really sure. But I did hear, you know, that there were white supremacists that were infiltrating um, those protests and starting a lot of the fires and they even have a lot of them on film. Um, mm-hmm. So it so it may be a group that is disruptive, trying to go in and disrupt and, and make what started out as a very legitimate protest um, just seem like a violent act. But I don't I don't know them enough to to say anything or talk about
1: it. I just looked them up on Google. Uh, The Boogaloo Movement members of of which are often referred to as the Boogaloo Boys is a loosely organized American far-right extremist extremist movement. Members of the movement say they are preparing for the coming of the second American Civil War.
5: What I think is really interesting is that the FBI itself has you know, said that right-wing extremist white organizations um, are the most, you know, ter- you know, that they are domestic terrorists, right? These are the things that we need to actually be watching out for, most concerned about. Um, and yet, Trump is actually going after Antifa. Well, of course, he's going after Antifa because Trump has. You know, Maya Angelou said, you know, when people tell you and show you who they are, believe them. Trump has repeatedly showed us who he is. So, do I need to say anymore? He's going after, you know, he's made it very clear on what side of the
4: line he stands. If there weren't neo Nazis, if there weren't neo Nazis, if there weren't white supremacist groups, if it wasn't the Klan, there'd be no Antifa. Antifa is the exact opposite of them. And instead exactly. of going against them, he's going against the group that's in response to the original um, far right wing. Yes. So yep. I do have one more political point I wanted to make. It seems like Republicans, the right, they will stick to their agenda. They will stick to their values no matter what. Like they don't like Trump. A lot of them do not like Trump, but he's pushing their agenda and he's winning and there's he's successful at it. And so they accept him and they rally around him. You seldom hear any Republicans speak out against Trump. There's a couple, but not many. They rally around him um, and they're solidified and they're lying, cheating. They will do anything to promote their agenda. They'll steal elections. They'll um, suppress votes. They. Fought against Obama even when he was fighting for our country to pull us out of a recession, they will sacrifice the wellness of our own country to push their own uh, party agenda. Democrats, if we don't like our, the personality of a candidate, then we abandon them and decide not to vote. Hillary, arguably, was the most <clears throat> qualified presidential candidate ever in history to run. We have a historian, that's my opinion. She was qualified. And she lost to the least qualified presidential candidate in the history of our country because people said, I don't like her. Her voice bothers me or she lies. We care about little petty things on the left. The right, they're keep their, their eye is on the prize, to borrow a civil rights phrase. They stick to their agenda. They'll fight for it. And they, they will stick together and not deviate from that. Already, people are, well, Biden said this. Biden's our candidate. He, he may not be your top choice, but that's who we have. Get out and vote, register and vote. And if you can't see how horrible Trump is for these times, the way he's handled COVID, um, COVID-19, the way he's handled any issue that's come in front of him, what he says is lack of compassion. If you don't understand that he is the worst thing that we could possibly have for our country at this time, I, I don't know what to say, but we, if you believe in justice, in civil rights, in human rights, in life, in compassion, in love, in caring about anyone, you have to get rid of this guy. You have to vote him out of office.
5: And Eric, I would actually also add on to that too, though, is that we do have a political system, unfortunately, that makes this really problematic. If we're truly interested in seeing real change, Hillary did win the popular vote, let's be clear right? We have a system that is in dire need of reform and overhaul. We cannot continue to exist within this system. If you're truly interested, I I completely agree with you that we need to get out the vote. But if you're really interested in seeing social change, then we need to really look at reforming and overhauling the system that we have. This two-party system is part of the problem. This electoral college system is detrimental to us. Every time the Republicans have won the White House, they've lost the elect. They, they've lost the popular vote. So if we truly want to see change happen, yes, we need to push the vote, but we also need to begin dismantling these structural, larger structural governmental political systems that are keeping us handcuffed because we need we need more than two parties and we need to dismantle the electoral college and we need to also put in some constitutional changes that are going to actually benefit people who look like us.
4: One more thing, election day should be a national holiday. Everybody should have the day off to go and vote. It should be a national yes. holiday. It should be a Sunday or if it's Tuesday then shut down everything, okay. give people yes, enough Democrats do what they can to try to get allow as many people as possible to vote. Republicans try to suppress as many people as possible because they know if the if the population votes, Republicans will lose. So they do everything to suppress that vote.
5: Because it's it's not just gerrymandering and and all of these other things. We have a lot of structural issues that make it difficult from the Correct. top of- so I'm, I'm on board with you, but we need to make deeper structural changes.
4: Agreed. And we need to continue these conversations. Clarence, were you jumping in?
0: Yeah, uh, we have about five minutes left in uh, this conversation. Uh, and we're sort of going into actually another topic for another show uh, with the election coming up. And, of course, the closer we get, we're going to have a lot to share and, and chime in about um, with what's going on that we see uh, over the last few weeks uh, with the riots and however the court system will sort of navigate through charging additional charges and how they ultimately charge these officers, what outcome or what impact do you think that'll have on the national election? And let's sort of go around the table and, and let and incorporate your last remarks in that particular uh, answer to that question.
1: If this doesn't get people out to vote, the COVID virus, uh, the police killings, the rioting in the streets—I don't know what will. Uh, it's absolutely necessary for for our country uh, to get out and vote. But even more, as Amrita said, I, I'm totally agree. We have a broken system that needs to be reformed from the top down. And until that happens, and term limits are implemented in the House and the Senate, um, change is going to be hard to come by. And I want everyone out there to please be safe, not only in the streets with the police, but with the COVID virus and hope to see everyone soon.
6: I think that we have to be very careful about how we move forward from this point, because Donald Trump has already begun to try and manipulate parts of this uh, to benefit his reelection. If If you look at some of the language that that, that he's using, the other day I heard him say MAGA loves black people and now he's come out he's come out in, in support of the uh of the charges against this police officer and he'll try and spend this any way he can because that's what the donald trump machine does spend any and everything just declare the truth to be other than what it is so we we have to keep our eyes on that moving forward
3: yeah he actually said mega loves the blacks um just, just just to get the quote right. Uh, um, but um, yeah, I think you're right. And I, and I do think he's trying to spin it all, you know, to make it, well, to feed his base, because he doesn't really care about new
5: votes. He just wants to feed his base. Amrita? Well, um, I think your original question was about the, the convictions or arrests of these officers and how this is going to affect the elections, if I'm not mistaken. Um, At this point, it's only Derek Chauvin who's been arrested. The other three officers have not yet been arrested or charged. And I think that all four of them need to be arrested and charged because all four of them are directly responsible for this man's death. And that's only a preliminary, that's only the first step. I mean, we all have seen people be arrested and charged, and then we've seen what happens when these things go to trial. Um, So that's it's a long way to go. But I think that this is going to be a direct factor, quite frankly, in terms of getting people to the polls and how they directly vote, because if charges are dropped against Chauvin, number one, or if the other three officers are not charged and not charged appropriately, I think it is going to make a big difference. I think people, I think what we've seen in terms of the national scope of these uprisings, and I think with what's happened with COVID and the lack of real coordinated response from the top and the hundred thousand deaths and the lack of real compassion and care from the government, and the homelessness, the food insecurity, the joblessness, everything. I think that people in this country across the board are ready for change. So I, I actually think that we have a real opportunity here to bring out truly progressive candidates who can make a case that it's time if they have the right platform. I think that we can really push a, real, a new agenda, a fresh agenda. So, but I think that these, I think that this, this, this is, this is lynching, plain and simple. And I think that, I think that we have a chance to make a difference, but uh, I think that, yeah, if it's not handled right, but I think that we also need to start hearing from more vocally from people like Joe Biden and others. That's what I think.
0: Well, I want to thank everyone for joining um, for what has been really a stimulating and in-depth sort of reactionary roundtable on some of the, um, yet again, some of the atrocities being committed against those who've been marginalized in history under the guise of uh, uh, law and order, an old Nixon phrase. Uh, We have attempted over the past two weeks to explore the concept of law black crime Uh, addressing the recent spate of racially motivated killings and racial profiling of African-Americans by law enforcement. And and then we did delve into other topic areas. I think uh, I didn't get a chance to comment as far as I'm not trying to guess how the election will turn out. My hope, of course, I mean, it's obvious. I'm, I'm hoping we have change. But in the words of Biden, I think this is going to be an election for the heart and soul of America. And I just want to thank those who were part of this roundtable, uh, bringing on contributors, Beverly Callender-Anderson, Eric Love, and Rita Myers, Cornelius Wright, and, of course, a uh, special hat off to uh, anchor William Hosea. We want to thank them for their input on the topic of blue on black crime. And going forward, we hope to bring other such uh, uh, inviting conversations to you, our listening public.
6: If you have any ideas for this program, we would love to hear them. Please send your emails to our volunteer staff. Our address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share any and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. Once again, that email address is bringiton at wfhb.org.
0: Uh, Our show's executive producer is yours truly with help from WFHB News Department Director Cade Young. Tonight's board engineer was Cade Young, and our original theme music was created by Jamil FM, with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Clarence Boone.
6: I'm William Hosea. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB.